0: Thank you very much. How you guys all doing? Good to see you here tonight. Our God is so good, you know. And even with all the heat that we've had to endure and uh, some of the flooding that's taken place, uh, uh, people being having to deal with all that, uh, I personally haven't. I don't think you guys have had any serious issues here in Pasadena, but in San Bernardino County, we've had to deal with some issues, but... We at, uh, in Upland have not, but we had a good downpour the other day on Tuesday, but uh, glad that's gone. I mean, like it's 100 degrees, it drops down, I mean, the rain just pours, it drops down to about 80 degrees, it leaves, then it's 100 again. You know, it's crazy, but uh, that's what was going on earlier this week. But uh, God is good. It's great to be here with you. It's always good to come to uh, bring God's Word to you. Um, I know that you guys are uh, very well taught in God's word by Pastor Xavier, and uh, I, I'm happy to come alongside of him uh, to bring God's word to you as well. Before we uh, uh, get into the word, I, I, I just uh, I'm just wondering if you had heard about this one family in which uh, you know a, a mom and dad, daughter and, and son. Well, the, the little girl decided she wanted to. Ask her, ask her dad about babies. I mean, how, where, where did this thing with babies all come from and all this? And, and so he said, so he told her, well, you know, well, God created Adam and Eve. And, well, they had babies. And then those babies grew up and they had babies. And those babies grew up and they had babies. And just all the way till today, and so we're still having babies. And that, that satisfied her. And uh, she shared that with her brother, and her brother thought, "I'm going to ask mom to see what she says." So he, he asked his mom, and uh, she said, "Well, you know, we 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 came from uh, billions of years ago when you know there were other creatures on the planet, and eventually there were apes and monkeys, and we we came from them over a." you know, billions and billions of period of time, you know, that, that's called evolution, but that's, that's where we came from. So the boy goes, runs to his dad, Dad, you lied, you lied. Mom said, you know, told her what, he, what she said, and he says, oh, no, 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 I, 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 I didn't lie. I didn't lie. She's talking about her side of the family. <laughs> and, you know, we can get twisted up in terms of the Word of God. You know, and uh, tonight I, I pray that we will be straight. You know, um, might the Lord, as we come with our open hearts, uh, might we allow Him to speak what is true to our own hearts, even as we sang just a few moments ago. Amen? Would you all stand with me? I'd like you to stand as you open your Bibles to First Timothy chapter 1. And uh, standing in honor of God's Word, I would like to read as you follow along the first 11 verses. And in fact, the uh, title of this message is No Other Doctrine. No Other Doctrine, a point that the Apostle Paul, as he writes to Timothy, is making here in this particular passage. As he begins this great letter, great first letter that he writes to Timothy. Follow along, would you, as I read, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some... That they, that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you teach us. That you would pour your spirit upon this place and that he, as our teacher, he being the one who will lead us into your truth, we pray that he'll do so. And to give us understanding in our hearts. We are hopeless and helpless to understand your truth apart from your spirit giving us that understanding. And so, Lord, work in our hearts, we pray that you might be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 1 Timothy, of course, is the first letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, a, a, a young convert of his. Uh, we, we, we note that he's called there in the second verse, a true son in the faith. Uh, Timothy came to faith in Christ through the ministry of the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey there in Lystra, uh, there in Asia Minor. Modern day uh, Turkey, that would be. Uh, Timothy came to faith and now Timothy has been placed uh, in the position of pastor in Ephesus. and, And he has taken over the church that... That uh, the Apostle Paul had founded on his first missionary journey. As we have an understanding of these kinds of things, and I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail with the history of the church and all. We could go into the back of into the Book of Acts and look at the various missionary journeys and so forth, and see how this all comes together, which is a fascinating study, by the way. I I, I love to study the Bible in that way, in that way, to see how the epistles in the New Testament line up with the book of Acts and, and, and the uh, travels of the various apostles, whether it's the Apostle Paul, who's a major contributor, of course, to uh, the New Testament, or the Apostle Peter, others as well. But it's just fascinating to see those things. But I want to focus on a couple things here in these 11 verses. As the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, of course, he would have a follow-up letter, Second Timothy that he writes, 2 Timothy being the last work of the Apostle Paul that we know of. And he, he could have written something after that. We don't know of it if he did. Uh, but First and 2 Timothy, along with Titus, the following book after 2 Timothy, these are known as the pastoral epistles as the Apostle Paul writes, to these two pastors whom he had placed into ministry, of course, through the guidance of God's Holy Spirit, placing them into ministry. And and these letters are letters of instruction. We we find that the occasion for this letter is actually found in the third chapter. Uh, Turn over to chapter 3, if you would. Just probably, you just have to flip one page. Uh, And in chapter 3... Beginning in verse 14, look look what the Apostle Paul has to write here. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Paul is writing this to Timothy You know, he's wanting to see him. He's going to be, he's planning on coming to visit him there in Ephesus. But in case he's delayed, you see, Paul had written this letter from prison in Rome. He, it seems that he had been released shortly after that. He wants to come and visit him and yet he doesn't know quite how long it's going to take him to get there. May have some delays and he just wants him to know how to conduct himself in the household of God. Uh, Through this letter of First Timothy, we see that there are uh, basically six main topics that he writes of in regard to how the church ought to be conducted uh, by Timothy. Uh, The first thing is, we see in the very first chapter here, the, the importance of the church's doctrine and how to preserve it, to keep it intact, uncorrupted by false teaching, which had entered into the church in Ephesus. And we know, of course, that that has been a problem for nearly 2,000 years. At this point in time, as Paul writes this letter, he probably wrote this somewhere around 62, 63 uh, A.D. Only, roughly, uh, less than 35 years after Jesus himself had, had been executed, buried rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, roughly 32, 33, less than 35 years after that. And this is how quickly things had developed in that first century, that churches were popping up. And there was, and and in fact, as we read here, we see that there's a reality to an established doctrine that had been in place already that had developed. But false teaching was coming in and, and Paul was warning against that. We see also in the second chapter, Paul deals with the church's public worship. Uh, we see in the third chapter that he writes about the uh, uh, qualifications for church leadership, elders and deacons. Uh, fourthly, we see that he outlines in the first part of the fourth chapter, the church's moral instruction. Uh, fifthly, he handles in the... Uh, um, in chapter 5, he handles the church's social responsibilities, and his final concern he, he deals with in the sixth chapter a reaction to those who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Boy, there, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? And we see people around us, and we, we, we see those who, uh, what we could call charlatans, on so called Christian television who believe that godliness can be a means to financial gain. God will judge them. These are some of the things that the Apostle Paul has to deal with. And it's always interesting to me, I don't know about you guys, I'm sure that you feel the same way, it's always interesting to me to see how applicable... Over 19 centuries later, how applicable the Word of God is to the church today. So many of these things that I just read of are are issues that we're dealing with in our world today. So it's just a wonderful thing to go through the Scriptures and to see that. Now, as we see this idea of false doctrine having come in, we, we understand that Paul the Apostle had dealt with so many things over the course of his ministry. He's at the end of his ministry as he writes these letters. He's just got a couple years to live. And over the course of his well over three decades of ministry, Paul had to deal with a lot of things. But turn with me to the book of Acts, if you will. I am going to go back and, and I want you to check this out. Acts chapter 20. The reason is because, well, we we see what could be a sad fulfillment of what Paul has to say here in Acts chapter 20. As we read verses 29 and 30 together, Paul had called the leaders of the Ephesian church to come to him. In a place called Miletus, he was going back to Jerusalem uh, to, to deliver a, a financial gift. He wanted to make it in, in time for uh, the feast day. And he didn't have time to go to Ephesus, but he wanted to meet with the Ephesian elders. This is toward the end of... this is his last time traveling to Jerusalem, in fact. And he wanted to meet with them. And, and so he says to them, as he's got them together, he says in verse 29... And in fact, begin with verse 28. Let's begin with, with verse 28. No, let's begin with verse 27. Seriously, 27. I mean, I could say, let's go to verse 1, but let's start with verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And that's a wonderful, by the way, that's a wonderful um, concept That we at Calvary Chapel have inherited from Pastor Chuck Smith. To teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. So that we don't miss any of the counsel of God. It's just a a wonderful thing that we have inherited. Verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves... And to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And this in itself, this 28th verse, it's a wonderful proof text for the deity of Jesus Christ. As we see here that God himself purchased the church with his own blood. Jesus, of course, is God manifest in the flesh, isn't he? And then verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things. Here's that other doctrine stuff. Perverse things. To draw away the disciples after themselves. As he, as he speaks to these Ephesian elders, he acknowledges, he warns them, he predicts that savage wolves will come in, that even from among themselves, as the leaders in the church, they will, with a desire to draw people after themselves, they will speak perversities, they will twist the scriptures to try to make it say something it doesn't actually say, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You remember what, what the serpent, actually Satan, through the serpent, said to Eve. Has God really said? It's always a question he asks. He always wants to challenge the Word of God. That's why it's so important for us to know the Word of God. Interestingly, even when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he challenged him with the Word of God as he brought the Word of God to Jesus. Of course, always out of context, Jesus would bring it right back to the right place with the proper understanding of the Word of God. Always the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. The enemy is going to question it. We must have a good understanding of it, that we can defend it, and use it to live our lives. it's not just knowing the Word of God, of course, it is living the Word of God. That is something that is very important to the Apostle Paul, even as he writes this letter. And so back over to 1 Timothy, we see that the reason that he wrote this letter was to set in order the things that ought to be done within the church of Jesus Christ. We see also in first in, in the first verse here of this first chapter of First Timothy, a lot of firsts going on here, aren't there? We, we see that Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously. Paul equates the Father and Son. As he says, this commandment came from them both. It's like a joint command issued by the Father and the Son. Both of them equal members of the Godhead, yet the Son submitted, always submitted to the Father. But we see that he equated the two. And then he... Praise the blessing upon Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we come to verse 3. We come to verse 3. As I urged you, he writes to Timothy. As I urged you, when I went into Macedonia. So there was a point in time when he had left them, he went to Macedonia. He says, when I urged you, as I urged you when I left there and went to Macedonia, remain there in Ephesus, note, note what he says to him, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Even as I told you when I left, there's problem, there are problems. There are people coming in with false teaching, false doctrines. So much of the New Testament, so many of the epistles in the New Testament were written in part to correct the false doctrines that were coming and to instruct and to warn the people or these pastors about those false doctrines that were coming. In fact, if you just let your eyes wander toward the end of this first chapter, the 20th verse, note this. He names a couple of people. Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, whether Hymenaeus and Alexander were among these that Paul was referring to in verse 3, we don't really know. Could have been. Perhaps these are others. But we see that Timothy is given the instruction by the apostle Paul. To stay there in Ephesus that he may charge some, not everybody, but some, that they teach no other doctrine. This is such an important aspect of our faith in Jesus Christ, guys. We have got to stick to the word of God. And not allow any doctrine other than what we see here. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, already in, in, in less than 35 years, there was an established doctrine that was accepted within the church of Jesus Christ. It was a teaching of Jesus and his apostles. In fact, we see Jesus in his, in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. As he prays for the, the church... That would that would come. He was speaking with his apostles. He was teaching his apostles in in chapters uh, 13 through 16 in the book of John. The upper room discourse is what we call that passage. Then in the 17th chapter, he prays to his father. He prays for himself. He prays for his apostles. And then he, fall, then he prays for the church that would follow. And he prays for you and for me. In fact, turn with me to John 17. I, I think it's just a cool thing to see. I want you to see this in your very own Bible. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with it already. If not all of you. But it's always good to be reminded of this truth. Chapter 17, look at verse 20. He had prayed for himself in the first few verses, and again he prays for the apostles in the following verses. And now verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, isn't it? We believe in Christ through the word of the apostles. They're the ones who by and large wrote the New Testament. And it is the truth of the New Testament as we have received the written word of God that has led us to faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. And so that's us. I mean, you have a written record of Jesus Christ praying personally for you. What did he pray for you? Well, let, let's just kind of follow up with that. That they, verse twenty, that they all may be one, as you father and I, as you father are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me, I've given them, that they may be one just as we are one. You, you think that unity in the body of Christ is important to Jesus? He prayed. That we would experience that unity. I think it's just a very cool thing to see that. Jesus Christ, if you, if you have placed your faith in Him, Jesus Himself prayed for you right there. But He continues to pray, doesn't He? Because we're, we're told in the Scriptures that He is at the right hand of the Father even now, making intercession for us. And so it's just a cool thing to, to know that. Back over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. As Paul uses his apostolic authority to command Timothy to use his own authority to charge some that they teach no other dark doctrine, we see the reality of the chain of authority within the church. But Timothy himself is exhorted by the Apostle Paul to use his authority to bring a charge. This is a commandment. A charge has, has to do with a, with a person of authority giving a command to someone who he has authority over. And so those who are a part of the church must place themselves under the authority of those that God has placed over the church. The pastors and leadership. Of course, the church belongs to Jesus himself. Jesus said, I will build my church. This church, every local fellowship that is a Christian fellowship belongs to Jesus Christ. But God has placed a pastor over that church. He's placed leaders within that church. And we need to submit to to the authority that God has placed Within the church. We see that very clearly here. What is the charge? Well, again, that some may teach no other doctrine. Guys, Timothy himself was raised on the Word of God. I I want you to turn with me to the second Timothy. Look at The first chapter, verse 5, in which we see Paul writing, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Paul acknowledges that there was genuine faith in Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So he speaks of a genuine faith, but look over at chapter 3 beginning in verse 15, 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, he had been taught the Scriptures as a child by his grandmother and his, and his mother. And then, of course, verses 16 and 17, very important verses for us as followers of Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Clearly we see that the Word of God is not given to us simply for us to learn or simply for us to be reproved by it or corrected by it. But that we are given the Word of God so that we are ready and equipped, made complete by the Word of God, that we might serve Him and live our lives for Him. That's what we see there in that passage. Back over to the first chapter of 1st Timothy. No other doctrine. No other doctrine. So much, as I mentioned, so much is written in the New Testament having to do with false doctrines that have come into the church. Whether it was Paul writing it, Peter wrote of it in his letters, The Apostle John wrote it in his letters. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote it in his letter to contend earnestly for the faith. You know, because of the reality of false teaching that came. And we today, we, we must give heed to these warnings in the Scriptures. We are called, we are called by God to follow after Him in truth. To follow after Him in truth. We are to minister to one another in love and in truth. And we know the truth from the Word of God. And we cannot, we cannot um, veer to the left nor to the right of it. Even as God charges Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. Don't don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. But follow the word of God. Follow the word of God in your heart, and things will go well for you. You will prosper in those things that I send you to do. In a very real sense, that that that's, that's a, a bit of a paraphrase, but that's basically what the, the the passage means. No other doctrine. Have you guys heard? Did you guys hear about what took place with uh, Joel Osteen and his wife Victoria a few weeks ago? Um, Victoria Osteen, the wife of Joel Osteen. They're in the, the largest church in America, in Houston, Texas. 40,000 plus people. They, they basically fill an arena that used to be used by the Houston Rockets three times on a Sunday morning. It's incredible the size of that church. And I'm I'm not afraid to mention that name. I mean, the Apostle Paul did. I think it's appropriate. I mean, that church, Lakewood Church, Lakewood First Baptist Church, I believe, is the name of that church. And Joel Osteen has had a number of times to share the gospel on national television, and he has refused to do so, simply because... He doesn't want to talk about sin because it makes people uncomfortable. The other day, I think maybe a month ago, three or four weeks ago, uh, he and his wife were, I guess they, they were, I don't know if they were closing out the, 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 uh, the morning or if it was just starting up. I really don't know. I just know what she said during this, this little clip. She and what she said with this, and this is a paraphrase, but this is the uh, sense of what she had to say. She said, you know, when I encourage you to to obey God and to do good works. Because when you obey God and do good works, you're blessed. You are happy when you obey God and do good works. And God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship God, you are blessed. And when you worship God, you don't do it for God, really. You do it for yourself. Because it makes you happy. And God wants you happy. So you do it for yourself, not really for God. Amen? Amen? You know, the problem is everybody was happy to hear that. I saw a clip on YouTube. Maybe some of you saw this. Somebody took that clip from her and attached to it a clip of, of Bill Cosby when he was doing the Bill Cosby show. And, and he said, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Very appropriate. Very appropriate. That's what's out there. That's what's out there. A feel-good gospel in which sin is not dealt with, repentance is not encouraged, acknowledging the utter desperate need for forgiveness from God because of our sinfulness, and, and the reality that the human heart, as it's described through the by the prophet Jeremiah, that the human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, so deceitful. Notice that the heart is deceitful above all things. God speaks through Jeremiah. My heart is more apt to deceive me than anything else out here, even even Satan himself. All things. I think that means all things. My heart is so deceitful, it deceives me into thinking that I have a good heart. Isn't that true? We love to think that we have a good heart. Anybody ever caught, been caught saying after you've blown it, and you realize you've blown it, but then you've said, but you know, God knows I have a good heart. Oh, wait a minute. I have a good way. No, that's not what God says. But but we have this false teaching out there, which is not going to lead anyone to salvation. And the Osteen's. And by the way, Joel Osteen is is a pastor of that church. His wife is a co-pastor. You know they've got this message in which all they want to do is make people feel good and, and, and they keep them coming, they keep them coming, they keep them coming. At the end of the second letter to Timothy, in the fourth chapter, we see Timothy or, or Paul writing to Timothy that in the last days that there are going to be people with itching ears heaping up for themselves teachers. Basically, so that they will tell them the things that they want to hear. Now, now I'm convinced that you guys are here on a Thursday night to get a Bible study because you want to hear truth. You want to hear truth. You want to hear God's Word. You don't necessarily want your ears tickled just so that you'll feel good and get some little butterflies in your tummy. But you know that if you hear the truth, sometime God is going to to use it as the sword that it is and pierce your very heart at times. And you want that because you want to become more like Jesus. You want Him to tell you about your sinfulness if it is there. And we need to cry out to God as, as the psalmist David in Psalm 139 cried out, Lord, Search my heart. Search my heart, O God. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Because I, like you, have blind spots to that wickedness. Because I don't want to think that I really am as bad as I really am in my nature. Yet the glorious news is that in Christ we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. Isn't it wonderful to be made new in Jesus Christ? It is wonderful to be made new in Jesus Christ. And Timothy was one who had been made new. He had a genuine faith, as we see Paul writing of in Second Timothy chapter 1. But we see the reality... And we could stand for hours talking about the various false doctrines that had come down, that have come down through the history of the church, to designed by the devil and his demons themselves. Paul refers to them as doctrines of demons, designed to move us away from understanding who Jesus Christ really is to move us away from understanding what Jesus Christ really did to move us away from why it is and and the nature of man and the nature of our hearts why it is that this mission that the Father sent the Son on was necessary in order to save the world. And some 60 years plus prior to this time. That's trippy, because I, I'm 62 years old. From the time that, from that I stand here with you t- tonight, to 62 years ago when I was born, during that same kind of a time frame, was the time that existed from the time that Paul writes this letter and Jesus actually entered into the world a very similar time not exactly 62 years but very similar and so much had happened the savior of the world had come the messiahs of the jews had come and he lived his life perfectly sinlessly that he might be the appropri- the, the appropriation for our Sinfulness. And as John the Baptist introduced him to the world, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a beautiful introduction. And we have the hope of eternity because he is the Lamb of God. I don't get people who won't deal with the sinfulness of people. If, if, if that is not the case, why was it that Jesus needed to be called the Lamb of God? Doesn't that speak of sacrifice? Doesn't that speak of atonement? You know, it's, it's crazy the things that people do and the p- things that people will say and the things that we as hearers can buy into. And I want to encourage you guys, be faithful as you hear doctrine being being taught, as you hear the expression of God's Word, as I shared with you earlier, I know that you guys are fed well. I know that Pastor Xavier is faithful to teach the Word of God to you. But whether it is him, myself tonight, Pastor Chuck Tapes, Whomever it may be that you are listening in, 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 in terms of what they are saying in terms of the Word of God, go to the Scriptures as the Berean church did in the book of Acts, chapter 17. Search the Scriptures daily to see if the things that you are hearing are really true. Search the Scriptures daily. Because it is your time in the Word of God, what you invest in the Word of God, that is going to protect you from believing false doctrine. Coming to church even twice a week, as well as you're taught, that's not enough. That's not enough. A steady diet every day. The Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. Because there is no other doctrine That is true, completely true. There's plenty of other doctrines out there they are false. And the enemy would want to mislead you for one specific purpose. That you would not inherit the kingdom of God. And that God himself, more important to the enemy is this. He wants to destroy you. He does. And he does, in fact, like Peter writes... He does, in fact, roam about like a roaring lion to seek those whom he may devour. And he'll devour anyone he can. And the false doctrine is a part of his, part of the way that he does it, his methodology. He really does want to destroy you. But the Word of God is going to protect you. Satan wants to destroy you. But Jesus Christ came. The Apostle John writes in first, first John chapter 3, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And so we have this spiritual warfare that is going on. And it is raging. It's raging around us. The angelic world and the demonic world, it is real. And even as God is intending to implant God's word into your hearts tonight the enemy would want to pluck it out before it even gets implanted. He would want to do that. I think if we could see with our eyes the reality of these creatures, the angelic world and the demonic world, there are battles going on right now. For God is wanting to implant God's word in your hearts, The enemy is wanting to take them out. And, and there's battle taking place over God's truth. The enemy wants to rip you off. He wants to destroy you. But even more important than that to him, he wants to blaspheme God. And he wants you to blaspheme God. He wants you to... To curse God in his face. Turn with me over to the book of Job. The book of Job. Just before the book of Psalms. I want you to see something here. I want you to see something. Something. In chapters 1 and 2 of Job, we see an encounter in both chapters between God and Satan himself. Look at verse 11 of chapter 1. Satan is speaking to God. They'd had this conversation, you know, I mean, have you noticed my servant Job? And of course he's a, you know, the enemy said, of course he's a wonderful guy. You've blessed him so much. Who wouldn't? Of course he honors you. And and so on and so forth. But there in verse 11, look at this. But now, this is the enemy, this is Satan speaking to God. Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. He will surely curse you to your face. See, that was Satan's intended goal. Chapter 2, verse 5. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. And he will surely curse you to your face. Satan's intended goal. And I don't think he's changed, do you? And he wants to bring you and me to a place... Where with all the distractions of life, all the rough things that we go through, all the attacks, all the spiritual warfare, all the suffering and and, and all of the persecution and and all of the pain and all of the affliction that we as as church bodies, we as individuals that we encounter in this world, remembering, guys, remembering we're not in heaven yet and we are at war. And we will, as children of God, as soldiers in the Lord's army, we are at war. I love the title of a book written by A.W. Tozer. The title is this, This World, Playground or Battleground? How do we view it? See, we're at war. And the enemy wants to get you. To a place where you will curse God, even to His face. Now, we, we won't, you know, I mean, I, I don't think there's anyone in this room who would, because we're suffering, you know, just look up into the sky and shake our fist against God and curse Him. But do we perhaps curse Him through our own response to a hard situation in which we determine we are not going to obey God. We're just going to ignore, ignore Him for a while, perhaps. That's what the enemy wants to do. False teaching. False teaching is one thing that is going to move us to that place. Let's get back over to 1 Timothy, shall we? We have just a few more minutes. And we don't have time, nor nor did I intend to, you know, just go really um, deep to exegete all the various passages that are within these 11 verses. There's an awful lot that is there. But I do want to call your attention to verse 5. We read verse three remain in Ephesus that you may charge that some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables. Basically two charges that he should give don't teach false doctrine, don't give heed to any fables, and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. The word of God, God's truth, brings godly edification because of faith, which is Because we receive God's word in faith. Others, it just causes disputes, causes problems. And then verse 5. Look at verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love. From a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. The purpose of the commandment is love. This is spoken against legalism. See, the purpose of the commandment is love. If we hear God's command, if we learn God's Word, if we are faithfully taught God's Word, if we faithfully dig in and study God's Word, then the purpose is not to simply know God's Word. There's a reason to know God's Word. And this is it, that we might love. Love. What is the one characteristic that Jesus said the world could use when they look upon his followers us and identify us as his followers? What's the one thing that Jesus said would identify us? Our knowledge of scripture? Our understanding of truth? Being able to divide the truth. Now, it's not that those are not are, it's not that those are things that we ought not to have. You guys know, it's love. All will know. Jesus came with a commandment. John 13, 34, and 35. He came to his, his apostles with a commandment. This command, a, a new commandment, he said. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, love one another. And then he said, All will know. You are my disciples. And I believe there's an emphasis on the word my. All will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's the purpose of biblical instruction. The purpose of biblical instruction to bring us to a place in which we love. And how are we to love? even as Christ loved the church as Christ loved the church even as I have loved you Jesus said it's interesting when the when the apostle paul writes to the ephesians and in the 5th chapter we have that wonderful treatise on marriage and he speaks to the husband and says husbands love your wives Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It's not a new thing. As a disciple of Jesus, I ought to intend in my heart to love everybody in the way that Jesus has loved me. There, I am instructed specifically to make sure that I love my wife that way and to do it sacrificially, even as Jesus gave himself for me. But the purpose of the commandment is love. That we might love one another. Love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and sincere faith. From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. You know, we can get caught up with, with, with the with teaching and with with exegesis and, and and all these various things and there's nothing wrong with that and we need to do that but if our purpose is just simply to know well knowledge puffs up knowledge will puff us up to the point that we will simply blow up and be rendered useless to God because it is love that builds up Knowing things will not edify anybody. Love is what edifies. Love is what builds up. Love is what identifies us with Jesus. So be careful. Be careful. And it can happen, we can get caught up in wanting to know, wanting to know, wanting to know. But there are organizations that make an awful lot of money because people want to know. Inquiring minds want to know, right? And we should inquire to the truths of Jesus Christ and the truths of the Bible and study to show ourselves approved unto God, even as, as, as Timothy receives from the Apostle Paul. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Yes, let's divide the truth rightly. But if we do so without love in our hearts, we miss the whole point. And you will bring people to Christ based on your love for them much quicker, in fact, much more effectively than bringing them because you know truth itself. Don't just simply know it. Do it. Don't be hearers hearers of the word only, but be doers. That's love one another. And Father, we pray that you would cause us as you fill us with your spirit, as you direct us by your word, cause us to be lovers of one another. Even as you Lord Jesus gave the two great commands, love God, love your neighbor, We know that it is love that matters. Love is what matters. And so, Lord, just have your way in our hearts. I pray that you just be with every one of your people who are here tonight. We love one another with a love that is boundless because, Lord, it is your love. As you fill us with the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you shed your love abroad in our hearts, even as you write your word on our hearts. But shed your love abroad that we might be lovers of you and lovers of one another in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.